Put your hands together, give the Lord a hand clap of praise. He's worthy to be praised. Amen, 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 amen. How many know there is no other way? He said that I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. It's good to be here this morning. We celebrate Jesus this morning. This is the first Sunday of the new year. And I just think it's befitting that we lay out for us what God has in store for us. You know, I, I come to find that there's two types of Christians. We all saved. But there's what's known as a trophy trinket Christian. This Christian is only concerned about how well they look. They're not really willing to help anybody. In some regards, they've become a little bit selfish. They want to be recognized. They want to appear like a Christian. They carry their Bibles with them. They attend Bible study, Sunday school. They even pray occasionally. These are ones that want to be set on a shelf that people might be able to see and to admire them and how, what they do. But then there's the game day Christians. These are Christians that are down in the trenches. These are Christians that are planning out and strategizing how they can affect this world for the glory of God. The reality of it is, is that all of us have a decision to make. Do we want to be that trophy Christian that's simply set on a shelf for people to look and to admire? Or do we want to be that game day Christian? That one that is willing to roll up their sleeves and go to work. I was asked a couple Sundays ago to lay out my vision for what I believe that God wanted for this church. And that I did. But if you would listen to it, I told you that this is a really a wish list. This is what I would love to see from this ministry. The reason why I said that is because it takes work in order to develop the vision. The vision comes to the leader, but it is the people that make the vision work. It is the people that bring the vision to pass. A vision without workers is really no vision. And the vision comes from God. And so since I was asked to give my vision to you, I come here this morning compelling you and asking you, pleading with you to be a game day Christian, to come in and be willing to roll up your sleeves and come out of your comfort zones. Come off the shelf and let's get down into the pit. Let's get down into the trenches. And if there's ever one book that exemplifies vision, leadership, and the work of the church, it is the book of Nehemiah. So if you have your Bibles with you this morning, please turn with me to the first chapter of the book of Nehemiah. Even though this book was written some four or five years before the church had been established, 
what we see in Nehemiah is still applicable to the church today. We're going to read a lot in your hearing. Beginning at verse number one, say amen when you have it. I still hear some pages turning. It's in the Old Testament. First chapter. You got it? If you got to say, I got it. Yeah. Amen, amen. First, Nehemiah, the first chapter, beginning at verse number one, it says, And the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hateliah, excuse me. And it came to pass in the month of Chislu, in the 20th year, as I sat, as I was at Shushan, the palace. And Hanani, one of my brethren, came and he and certain men of Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews that had escaped, which were left of the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said unto me, the remnant that are left of the captivity there in the providence are in great affliction and reproached. The walls of Jerusalem are also broken down and the gates thereof are burned with fire. And it came to pass when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned a certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. And of the God of heaven. Verse number five. And said, I beseech thee, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and terrible God that keepeth his covenant and mercy for them that love him and observe his commandments. Let thy ear now be attentive and thy eyes open that thou mayest hear the prayers of thy servant, which I pray before thee now, day and night, for the children of Israel thy servant, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against thee. Both I and my father's house have sinned. We have dealt very corruptly against thee and have not kept the commandments, nor the statutes, nor the judgments of thou commandest thy servant Moses. Remember, I beseech thee, the words that I have commanded thy servant Moses, saying, I, if ye transgress, I will scatter you abroad amongst the nation. But if ye turn unto me, and keep my commandments, and do them, though they were of you scattered, cast out unto the uttermost parts of the heavens, yet will I gather them from thence, and will bring them unto the palace that I have chosen to set my name there. Now these are the servants of thy people, whom thou hast redeemed by thy great power, and by thy strong hand. O Lord, beseech thee, let not thine ear be, be let, not, let now thy ear be attentive to the prayers of thy servant and to the prayers of thy servant who desire to fear thy name and prosper. I pray thee, thy servant, this day 
and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. For I was the king's cupbearer. From these 11 verses in the first chapter of Nehemiah, I'd like to take for this for a thought. A Nehemiah calling. A Nehemiah calling. There's been some great callings in the Bible. Perhaps one of the most pronounced one was the call of the Apostle Paul on the Damascus Road. This was a calling that was very demonstrative. You can see it, you can feel it as you read it, that the power of God had fell upon the Apostle Paul. But then there's this call that Nehemiah has that is really birthed out of his pain. It's birthed out of his heart being burdened for his people. Now understand that Judah, because of their disobedience, because of their idolatry, have been captured by the Babylonian army. Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylonia at that time, came into Judah in Jerusalem and took the best of the best. And he took them back to Babylonia that he might be able to train them in the things of God. His idea was that they would be overseers once they went in brought all of the captivity, captives back to Babylonia. That they would oversee the work in which the Babylonian king wanted to do. And so Judah being hard-headed and stubborn as it was, even though they had received the prophecy from Jeremiah that they were not to resist this king of Babylonia, because God had already judged the nation, had already told them that you're going to go into bondage for 70 years. And for whatever reason, Judah just didn't get it. The king in Judah just did not get it. Because several times he tried to revolt against Nebuchadnezzar, only to come under the heavy oppression of the Babylonian army. Countless lives were lost in battle. And the end result was that Nebuchadnezzar took all of Israel, with the exception of a few poor folk that were scattered about, and he took them back to Babylonian and put them under bondage. But God also we're telling them that they will go into bondage. God told them that there's going to be an end to this. As a matter of fact, God even told them the name of the king who would release them, King Cyrus. King Cyrus was the, was the king of the Medo-Persian Medo, Medo army, which overthrew the Babylonian army and had come into power. And two years after coming into power, he declared that the children of Israel were to go back to their homelands and build up their city. 
And out of the two million people or Jews that were in Babylonia, only 50,000 of them decided to go back. They had become so comfortable in bondage. They had become comfortable in their, in their, their state of affairs. As a matter of fact, some of them had risen in the, in the Medo-Persian government as prominent members of the king's court. And one of those was Nehemiah. But understand that even though Nehemiah had rose up through the ranks, Nehemiah never forgot his history. He never forgot the God the one and only, the true and only God, Jehovah. And so he is now risen in the king's court to a very high standard. Nehemiah is a very trustworthy man. And the reason why we know he's a trustworthy man because Nehemiah was a cupbearer. And if you know anything about a cupbearer, a cupbearer is the one that will taste any wine that perhaps the king gets prior to the king getting it. And so therefore, if there's any poison in it, he would die himself. So not only was he trustworthy, but Nehemiah was willing to sacrifice his life. We, 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 we need more Nehemiahs. We, we need more people who are trustworthy in the kingdom. The, 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 those who won't get the big head. Nehemiah proved that, that even though he had risen to this high-ranking office, that he did not have a big head about it. Nehemiah was concerned about other people. So 50,000 had gone back and had begun the building of the temple. And they had built for a while. But oh, when the enemy comes in and begins to try to sow discord, when the naysayers come in and, 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 and start telling you, why are you building up that house? Don't you have your own house to build? And so for 16 years, they had stopped the building of God's house. Thus came our offering scripture. Haggai, God sent Haggai to them and told them to consider your ways. You're running to your own houses. You're building up your own house. But there is God's house that needs to be attended to. Why? Because the scripture said that God takes pleasure in his house. And I, I, would, I would that many of us would take pleasure in the house of God. And I, I'm not just talking about this building here. I'm talking about the body of Christ. Yeah. What, what does the body of Christ really look like? When I begin to survey the church today, when I begin to look at the church, not necessarily this church, but the church at large, far too many trinket and trophy Christians that only want to be honored and come into the, 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 the building and, and to lift up holy hands. That's good. That's great. But you ought to have a desire for the work of God. 
and the people had begun to sit down. And so God sends Ezra because Ezra and, and, and Nehemiah run along the same lines. Ezra was, was, was a priest of the Lord. And Ezra came back with 2,000 Levites and priests that he might institute the worship of God. Once they had completed the temple, it was time now to offer sacrifices unto God, to worship God. So worship is necessary. And whereas Ezra issued worship, Nehemiah comes to issue work. What we're doing today, right now, is the work of Ezra. What we do when we leave this house is the work of Nehemiah. Come on, come on, you, 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 you didn't get that. We come into this place to worship God. We leave this place to work for God. So, 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 so what, what kind of Christian will you be? Because usually the church that you're in is, is made up of the Christians that we have in the church. I mean, are, are, are you that, that, that Christian that's always just looking to receive? Do you have your hands closed so tight you don't want to release them? You don't want to give nothing. You don't want to really sacrifice anything. As a matter of fact, most times when you leave out of here, you forget all about what the preacher said. But, but, but if you're in the trenches, you carry this word like a burden. Because understand this. I'll give you four points here. God's work always begins in the heart. It starts in the heart. Look at the text. The text tells us that, that the Nehemiah, this cupbearer, had a friend of his, Hanani and some brethren, that came and he inquired about those who had been left back in Jerusalem. He inquired about the ones who were still inhabiting the land. But here's the interesting part about this whole thing is that Nehemiah had never been to Judah, had never been to Jerusalem. As a matter of fact, Nehemiah was born in captivity. He had never visited the place, but yet and still his heart was still back with his hometown. It begins in the heart. So my question to you is that, what, what, what is it that God has put on your heart? I know it'll take a minute for you to think about that. What has God placed upon your heart? Every believer should have something that God has placed on our hearts. Because not only we to have the mind of Christ, we also have the heart of Christ. And what's heavy on Christ's heart should be heavy on our heart as well. So what's in your heart? I know the Bible said that the heart is wicked and de desperately wicked. Who can know it? But in Christ Jesus, Christ Jesus came to give us a brand new heart. In other words, we see things a little bit differently now that we're in Christ Jesus. 
We view people a little bit different now that we're in Christ Jesus. At least we should be. Christians need to be a little bit more compassionate with folk. We should be quicker to help folk rather than to judge them and to put them down. Let's reach down and pick them up. Bring them up. Let them out. You don't have to stay down there. That's what a game day Christian look like. That's what it looks like. You see, because on game day, you get a little sweaty. Get a little funky, a little musty. But it's all good because that's where the difference is being made. So he's put it upon his heart. The work of God begins in the heart. But it's not just in the heart that it begins. But it's what breaks your heart, point number two, that develops your calling. Look at, look, look, look at what he says. He says, he says that, 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 that when he heard this noise of the, of, the, of the news, he began to fast, to pray, and to weep. These folks that he did not even know, he's weeping over them. He's crying out to God. He's fasting. He's sacrificing. These are folk that he don't even really know. So what does that tell us? There's a whole lot of folk out there you don't even know that God has desired for you and for me to get out there and to reach. But it takes people who are going to work. It takes people who are willing to sacrifice your time, your talent, and your treasure. The problem that I'm finding is that, that most of us just don't have the time. At least we fool ourselves to make us think that we don't have the time. You'll be amazed at the time that you had if you just turn the TV off. Well, let me, let, let me get on your nerves now. If you just put that phone down and stop texting and stop going on Facebook, you'll be amazed at the time that you have. Oh, you'll be amazed at it. Some of you have a tremendous gift that you can offer to God. Some, some, some of you have some tremendous you know, abilities that you can offer to God. There are various different ministries that I'm praying that God will put upon your heart. You see, because I cannot, I cannot call you to any particular ministry because all of us have been called twice, right? Every, everybody in the world has a calling. Everybody in the world has a calling. And that is a call to salvation. Now, whether you accept it or not is totally up to you. But even after the call of salvation, you have a call to serve. And once again, it's totally up to you whether you'll serve or not. I can't call you. I can't teach calling. I don't, I don't have that. That's above my pay grade. 
all I can let you know is the availability of the call that is needed. And there's a call that's needed. There's plenty of, I've asked about the pioneer girls. I'm waiting for one woman, one young lady to come and say, Pastor, I'll take on this. Is there anyone that has a burden for the young girls? Where, where, where is your heart? I don't, I don't have time for that right now. There, there, there's other things that I'm doing. I got my social club on Wednesday night or on Thursday nights. We'll find excuses. We'll find reasons to not step up to the plate. That's just one of many. I did receive a call. I had mentioned about the bereavement ministry. And I received a call from an individual that wanted to head it up. And she got the bylaws. And she's already sent me in her plan already. But we just need workers now. We need people who are going to step up to the plate. Because if you don't, you will wear people out. Here it is. In our text, you had two million people that are sitting back in Babylon and 50,000 show up to do the work of the Lord. And that 50,000 begin to get weary and stop the work. And it's a shame when God's work stops because we're too lazy. To get up off our do-nothings and do something. It takes work. And the pastors and the preachers can't do it all. The deacons can't visit everybody in the hospital. There needs to be some of y'all that's going out visiting some people. Did you not know that the preachers and the, and the pastors and the deacons are not the only ones that can get a prayer through? Nehemiah prayed. As a matter of fact, that's the other good thing that I love about Nehemiah. Nehemiah was a praying man. In this very short book of Nehemiah, do you not know that Nehemiah stopped and prayed at least 11 times? That he stopped what he was doing and went before the Lord. It's all about us praying. Going before the Lord. Because that's what Nehemiah did. Nehemiah was a praying man. I mean, as a matter of fact, if you look in verse number five, because of his heaviness of his heart, because his heart had been broken, Nehemiah begins to pray. Look at, look at, look at how Nehemiah prays. I love this. He said, he says, he said, I said, I pray, Lord God, from heaven. Oh, great and awesome God. You who keep your covenant and mercy with those who love you and observe your commandments. Here, here, here we see three areas in which Nehemiah prays. The first thing is that Nehemiah prays based on God's exalted position. And what, what this tells us is that, that, that God is almighty. 
And, I, and I'm not going to pray to anyone who can't fix my situation or my circumstances. I'm, I'm not going to pray to someone who can't uh, have the power to change me and how I feel and how I view situations and circumstances. You see, because God is exalted. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that the, that the earth is his footstool. That he is the almighty God. He is the covenant God. He is the sovereign God. And it is God that can change the hearts of kings. It is God that can change the heart of the lowest sinner on the face of the earth. God can do it. So he, pray, he prays based upon God's exalted position. He said that God is in heaven. He sits high and he looks low. God sees everything that we're doing. God can see even to the very heart of your heart. He knows your intentions. He knows everything that you desire to do. And is God the one that puts that desire in a person's heart to want to be a blessing, to want to be a help? So God sits high. And he looks low. Secondly, he prays based upon God's preeminence, on his sovereignty. God is God. There's no attributes that give God justice. He's just God. He's God all by himself. He does not need your help or authority to be God. As a matter of fact, if God wanted to, he could stop all of our action right now if he wanted to. And listen here, and he would still be justified in doing so. Why? Because he has preeminence over all things. He is providential in all that he does. He don't need our approval. God, God has never knocked on my door and asked my opinion about anything. Because the day that he does, he'll stop being God. Because my opinion ain't worth nothing. He, he, he doesn't need our opinion. He doesn't need our authority. As a matter of fact, we are absolutely nothing without him. He is the all-wise God. He knows everything. He's omniscient. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere at the same time. This all falls up under the realm of his preeminence. You can't stop him. You can't block him. You can't can't stop God's program. Because whatever God desires and desires to do in the life of his individuals, God's going to do it. You don't believe me? Check with me. I tried to stop it. I tried to tell God, no, Lord, I don't think you told me to do that. Have you considered Job? Because <laughs> I don't think you called me to do this. But God has showed me. He's shown me with no uncertainty that when he tells us to go, when he tells us to do, then we must be obedient unto him. And understand, church, God has told us to go, ye therefore into all nations. He's told us, this is not a suggestion. God has told us to go. And we're still sitting. 
You, 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 you know, you didn't, you didn't do that with mama. If mama told you to do something, she didn't tell you but one time. The next time she was going upside your head. God is preeminent. He's all powerful. There's none greater than him. But then look again here, hear that. He prays to God based upon his promises. He goes on to say, you who keep your covenant and mercy with those who love you and observe your commandments. God had told them that if you keep my commandments, that I'll always be with you. I'll always keep you. I won't let you fall. You, you always inhabit this land. But they had broken their promise. They had broken this conditional promise that God had made with them. God understand that God makes conditional promises. In other words, God said, well, if you will do this, then I will do this. And what it really does is it provokes our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. There's some promises that God has made to you and to, for me. You see, because he promised that he'll never leave us, nor will he ever forsake us. Yes, even in the midst of trouble, God is always right there with us. And whether the children of Israel knew that yet even in the bondage, God was yet still there with them. Because he would never leave his or forsake his people. Even in the midst of bondage, God was still there directing them. God still had prophets that came up out of the exile that were prophesying to the people, letting them know that, that, that freedom is on its way. Why? Because that's the type of God that he is. God makes a promise. And he keeps his promise. He, 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 he's not like us. I don't know about you, but I, I've broken some promises. As a matter of fact, I've broken quite a few promises. Not just to God, but to other folk as well. And understand this, that, that, that there's nothing like us coming to God and reminding him of the promises that he made to us. There's nothing wrong with that. It's not that God has forgotten. But we need to understand that, that, that sometimes we forget about the promises that God has made us. That God wants to do good by you. He really does. God loves you with an everlasting love. God, God promised you new mercies every morning that you wake up. God, God, God promised you his abundant grace. These are promises that God, God promised you eternal life. These are promises that I'm still waiting on. I'm still looking for. And every now and again, I'll, I'll bring it up, bring them up to God. You see, you see, you see when, when, when our kids bring up broken promises to us, don't feel too good. But God delights in that. Because what it shows him that, 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 that we're in his word, that we understand what his word says. And God, I'm praying to you based upon what your word said. The best prayer that you can pray is to pray the scriptures back to God. 
Begin to pray his word back to him. Say, God, I, I, know, I know I got myself in a pickle, God. But Lord, you, you, pro you promised me that you would go through this with me. You promised that you would bring me out on the other side. But the great news about it is that, Lord, even if I don't get through this one, I know that there's a home waiting on me on the other side. Because I'm in a win-win situation. I don't care how you look at it. I'm winning if I die. I'm winning if I live. He asked, he asked God to remember, I pray the words that you commanded to your servant Moses. He begins to go back down memory lane. Nehemiah had never met Moses. But he understood the promise that God had made to Moses concerning his people. And so therefore he comes to God based on the promise that God made to Moses. And understand that. God wants to work in and through your prayers. That's what he wants to do. The last, the last point that I want to bring to you is we need to seek how God can resolve problems we're confronted with and how much we will play a part in that. God has a plan. He has a plan to fix Israel's situation. And he's preparing a man by the name of Nehemiah. God has called him from the depths of his heart. He's called him past his pain. He's called him to prayer. And now Nehemiah is asking God, how can I help? How, 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 how can I be a blessing in your plan, God? God has now placed a burden upon Nehemiah. And my question to you is that what are you burdened with? When you look at, look out and you see people who are hurting, does it cause you to hurt? When you look out and you see the fatherless, when you see the women who have, have let, husbands have left them, been displaced, when you see that homeless person, how, how, how does it affect your heart? Do you really have a burden for that type of work? You see, I know, I mean, sometimes we want to sit up in these churches. We want to sit up in our churches. And we think that this is all there is. But I'm imploring you. I'm asking you. I'm begging you to leave out of here this morning and to purpose in your heart that you want to seek out what God has placed upon your heart. Stop your busy schedule. Turn off your TV. Shut down your computer. Spend some quiet time with God and say, God, okay, show me what it is. How do I fit in? What am I to do? Nehemiah had a privileged position. And whether you know it or not, you have a privileged position also at the king's table. Because there is no big eyes and little U's in the king's court. 
All of us are king's kids in here that believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. All of us are to serve one another. All of us are to love one another. All of us are to esteem one another greater than ourselves. So it's a call to humility. It's a call to service. It's a call to, to, to look out and see, how do I fit in? God, what is it that you would have me to do? And then don't just sit on it. Begin to act on it. We're in the process of rallying the troops, putting together a team. And it would be a shame if we began to put these teams together and we don't have the workers to come and support the teams. It's unfair. We're still going to go forth and do what God said do. But we need to do this on a grand scale. We need to have this burden. Because at one time, at one time, each and every last one of us was on the other side of this. Each and every one of us, if it was not been for God intervening in our lives, could have been homeless, out there, stretched out on drugs, alcoholic, wife beater, whatever you want to call it, fornicator, any of us could have been that. But somebody was praying for you. God sent somebody your way to give you the gospel message. And then not only did that, but you came to a Bible-believing, Bible-teaching church where we believe in teaching the Word of God so that you might be able to mature and grow in the faith, that you might be able to go out and do it for others. That's what this is really all about. I told you, 2023 needs to be about growth. We need to be growing in what we're doing. Being a blessing. And winning souls for Christ. And it takes all of us. I was a wretch. Undone. On my way to hell. And somebody told me about a Jesus Christ who came down here through 42 generations. You know the story. Came down wrapped up in flesh wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And somebody decided to take that baby Jesus out the manger and present him to me. They said, this Jesus here, this is the one that went to Calvary's cross for you. This is the one that's seen you in all of your wretchedness. This is the one that's seen you in your sin condition. As a matter of fact, even before you were born, Christ died for your sins. Yes, he did. They took him on up Calvary's hill. Nailed him to an old rugged cross. Put nails in his hands, rivets in his feet. A crown of thorns on his head. He suffered, bled, and died. That Friday, he gave up the ghost. He gave up the ghost for you. He gave up for me. Yes, he died for us. But the record declared that he rose on the third day with all power of heaven and earth in his hands. And I just want you to know that that's all it really takes is taking out that good news to this world. Let them know that there is a risen savior. 
there is someone who cares about them. There is someone who has, has come and wants to indwell them and live in them, give them a new life. That's what God desires to do. Because he is coming back again and he's going to set up his kingdom. And I want to rule with him. I want to, I want to reign with him. And if that means being persecuted down here on this side, so be it. I'll take the persecution that I might be able to reign with him. The door to the church is open. Please stand to your feet.